Please find your seat. Find your seat, take a seat. This morning, we are wrapping up our sermon series on the elephant in the room, where we're talking about marriage and family. We've looked at things that really are kind of the elephants in the room, things that affect our families greatly, and things that we don't often talk about. And this morning, we're wrapping it up by talking about what we consider a massive elephant in the room, and that is the words that we use in our families. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 3 toward this end. I think there may be an assumption that because we're in church or because we're Christians, then all of our words are blessed and sanctified. Scripture doesn't say that that's the case. And as one of your pastors, I know that's not the case. And by looking in my own family, I know that's not the case. And looking in my own heart, I know that's not the case. So what we're trying to do this morning is to expose this elephant, call it for what it is, and look to Jesus to change direction. Okay, so if you would... If you're willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's Word from the book of James, chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
This morning we're going to be looking at three different things, but really all under the same heading. That is, in our families, words have tremendous power. In our families, what we say, what we create with our tongues has tremendous power. So we're going to be looking at the power of words. We're going to be looking at the power of words said. And then we're going to be looking at the power of words that are unsaid. If we look at one of the first things that James mentions is that of horses or ships. So look at verses 3 and 4 with me back on page 11. And I apologize that you have to flip back and forth to the sermon notes. But it says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we got their whole bodies. Anyone who has gone horse riding knows this, the bit in the mouth and you're controlling the bridle, you can shift an entire horse by one very small thing. And horses are huge. And then he moves on to something even bigger. He says, look at the ships also, that they are so large and driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So ships are driven by winds or nowadays can be coal power, whatever it may be. But the entire thing is dependent upon one very small thing, a rudder. I realized how important a rudder was this past summer. My family and I took a wonderful vacation to Vermont. And the, the family whose house that we stayed at, they had, lots of, they had lots of boats. They had canoes and kayaks, and they had paddle boats. So how many of you have used a paddle boat before? Okay, a paddle boat is fun in, in theory because you have to paddle what would be the equivalent of 100 miles on a bicycle to get 14 feet in the water, right? And you're, you're paddling and paddling. Well, one, of, one of my favorite things to do in a paddle boat is to go out with my daughter, and she paddles on one side, and I paddle on the other. And, you know, in a paddle boat, you have the tiller, which is right here, which is connected to the rudder, which controls where it goes. And so Lucy on one side and me on the other, and we're both fishing. So we're paddling and we're fishing, paddling and fishing, and we get a little too close to a big clump of trees, and, you know, there's spider webs in the trees, and we don't want to get in it, and I'm trying to turn hard on the tiller to get the rudder to move, and I'm yelling, of course I'm yelling, paddle, Lucy, paddle, paddle, and all of a sudden, I hear a snap, and the tiller gets detached from the rudder. And so at that point, we're rudderless, right? We've got lots of power because our legs are very powerful. And so I say, Lucy, paddle backwards, paddle backwards. So we're paddling backwards, paddling backwards. I say, okay, now how are we going to get back home? Because home is several hundred yards across the lake. And the lake is deep. This is a Vermont lake. It's like in this area, it's about 90 feet deep, which is really kind of scary if you think about it. And we're thinking... How are we going to do this? So, okay, well, let's just try it and see what happens. Lucy, let's paddle forward. So we paddle forward. And you know what we do? We go in a big circle. Well, Lucy, let's paddle backwards. We go in a big circle. So how are we going to fix this? We can either get out and swim with our life jackets and tow it. And I 
we come up with a brilliant idea of Lucy needs to control the rudder. Because we realize that the rudder is the most important thing here. So Lucy reaches over and sticks her head right near the water. I hope you can see me here. And she is controlling the rudder with her hand. And I say, and I start paddling. I say, Lucy, hard right. And we didn't get our rights and lefts correct the first time. So I say hard right and I get a hard left. Um, but after, after a bit of agony and frustration and no fish caught during that time, by the way, we finally made it home. The rudder was broken. We were in a paddle boat. And how much energy and frustration came about simply because the rudder was off. James says that our tongues are like a rudder. They're like a rudder. They guide something huge. But if our words were merely, merely like a rudder or like the bit in a horse's mouth, that would be something different. If you look at a rudder or a bit, like those are very mundane, simple things, aren't they? And our words, most of the time, are very mundane, simple things. You know what we use words for? We use words to order drive through we use words to talk about how to solve a math equation. We use words to say hello and goodbye. Our words can be very simple. But if you put words in their particular context, if you put words in their particular context, they can be extremely powerful. In our marriages, and in our families, in our parenting, they can be extremely powerful. And they can be powerful to do good or to do harm. You know, if you have a horse that you're riding and you pull on the bridle and it gets off path, how do you get back on path? Well, you just simply use the bridle to get back on path. If you're in a ship and you veer off course because your rudder tells you to veer off course, assuming you don't hit something, how do you get back? Well, you change the rudder and you get back. Wouldn't it be wonderful if words were that simple? That you could just say something and immediately get back and take it back. If the tongue were only like that, it wouldn't be so bad, would it? Then our words could be more checked. A lot of times we, we say things as if our tongues are merely rudders or bridles, right? Oh, spouse, if you weren't so lazy, oh, wait, you're not lazy. See, I just corrected the rudder there. Or, oh, child, if you weren't so dumb. Oh, you're not dumb. See, I corrected. I'm doing what James says here. This is why James doesn't leave the analogy merely with a bit and a bridle and with a rudder. Because some things can't be unsaid. You and I know that. There's not a person here that doesn't realize that. I mean, if you're, if you're over 15, you can think back to your childhood and you hear different voices, right? You hear voices of encouragement, of praise. You hear voices 
of just venom, of anger and disappointment. And even as adults, whether it's, whether it's 10 years later or 50 years later, you still hear that. This is why James compares the tongue to a fire. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, all of these fires that they've had in the West, they're not started by massive explosions. They're started by like a campfire that's gotten out, a cigarette on the side of the road, something very, very small. And the next thing you know, you have thousands of square miles where there's nothing left. No houses, no trees. You can't undo a forest fire. And in the same way, James here is saying you cannot undo words. When they're spoken, they're spoken. So when we look at the power of words said, the power of words actually spoken, the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that we have a God who speaks. It's not just us who are speaking. It's God who speaks. With his very word, if you remember from Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Let there be bears, bears. Let there be trees, trees. Let there be all of this. He just simply spoke it and something good and wonderful happened. So, and then we see in the New Testament, Jesus himself in John 1, he's called the very word of God, the logos, the spokenness of God. Wouldn't it stand to reason that if you and I are created in God's image, that our words might carry power? Not power to just heal diseases on the spot. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is our words carry power to drastically change other people's lives and their futures. They do. We can dramatically alter someone's future simply with our words. How many of you have heard the phrase or the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? How many of you grew up hearing that? Isn't that the worst lie? I would take a broken arm over some of the things that have been spoken to me in my life. The problem, when we think about in context of our families now, the problem is a lot of times we think we're more in control than what we are with our words. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You see the image there? It's like all of this stuff, we've tamed it. Lions. I'd be scared of a lion face-to-face. -face. Tamed. Bears. Tamed. Guinea pigs. They don't need much taming, but they're tamed. You know, all of these different things. Tamed. Your tongue. Untamable. Untamable. 
And look at how it's described. He says, the tongue is a restless evil. This gives us the image of, as like you have these words that are just waiting to come out. They're just restless. They can't find solace in not being heard. But they need to be heard. So our tongues are called a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The first question I'm going to propose to you this morning is, do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true, not of others, but of yourselves? Because if you don't actually believe this to be true of yourself, then really you can stop reading James right here. But James says this is universal. It is absolutely universal. And what it doesn't mean is that this full of deadly poison is that everything you utter all the time is the worst thing ever. But it's just a restless evil. It's waiting to come out, this poison. And then he, he brings it home and strikes at the core of us in verses 9 and 10. He says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You know, this is James using the phrase, do you kiss your mama with that mouth? I remember, as some of you do, getting my mouth washed out with soap. There were some soaps that were better than others. Um, for those of you who are young, who are yet to get your mouth washed out with soap, always opt for hard bar soap. Don't go for the liquid. It stays around for days. Okay? That's my advice to you this morning. This is one of the strangest things. We come in here, we praise God. You, in your own private time, you praise God. And then almost the split second later, you use the same instrument to curse someone. And we all find ourselves in this. At the end of verse 10, he's saying, brothers, this ought not to be so. It just shouldn't be this way. Because here's what's behind it. It's not just about the tongue, about what we say, but look at the heart behind it. When you are praising your father, is it from the heart? Yeah, and it's coming out the mouth. When you're cursing others, is it from the heart? A lot of times. And it just comes out the mouth. And this doesn't have to be, hear me out, this doesn't have to be you berating your spouse. This can be you cursing the person who doesn't know how to take turns at the four-way stops in Owasso. This can be um, very simple, very small like that. But that's the way that the tongue works. It's this restless evil, as he says. So our words have the power to curse, and they have the power to bless. Let's look at this. Our words have the power to curse. What does this look like in, in marriage? What does words having the power to curse look like in marriage? Name-calling, condescension, criticism, degradation, blame, accusations. We can't pretend as a body on all sorts of things. 
right? We can't pretend that people in this body haven't been sexually abused. We can't pretend that everyone had wonderful childhoods or had a great dad or a great mom. We can't pretend a lot of things, and we can't pretend that all of our language at home is as it should be. You know, what do some of these things look like? You know, you don't get it, sweetie, because you're just too dumb. Are you screwed up again? Can't you get anything right? You know, we are so busy. Why can't you earn more money like so-and-so? Look at yourself. Who else would want you but me? I have to yell because you're so unreasonable and thick-headed. I react this way because of the way you act. You've gotten ugly since we've gotten married. I mean, we could go on and on. It's important for us to verbalize what this sounds like, though. It is. Um, Verbal abuse is when a person forcefully criticizes, insults, or denounces someone else. And emotional abuse is when those things have a traumatic impact on the person. These things happen everywhere, and they happen in churches, because we are sinners. I am, Pastor Blake is, you all are, right? In marriage, our words have the power to curse, and it only takes one, doesn't it? One little thing. Or in parenting, what does a curse look like? What does it sound like, rather? Why aren't you more like your brother? Or, you know, I'm glad you made a 100% in seven of eight classes. Why didn't you make a 100% in the last class? What's wrong with you? Or, I am so disappointed with you. Some of these are resonating with you. Because you heard these as children. And you're carrying that stuff around still. Words have power to curse, but they also have power to bless. In a marriage, which I'm really looking forward to our marriage conference this coming weekend. What do they look like in a marriage? You know, just simply like, you are such a good husband. You are such a good wife. I am so thankful for you. Um... I'm so glad I married you. I'm so glad you chose me. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad of who you are. I'm proud of you. Or even looking to the future, you know, I can't wait to spend the rest of my years with you. I hope Jesus comes back this week, but I can't wait to spend the rest of the years with you if he, if he tarries. Or in parenting, parents, How often do you tell your children, I am so glad I get to be your mama. I am so glad I get to be your daddy. There is so much in our words that can greatly affect someone for the rest of their lives. And I say this, especially like parents to children. So those are the words said. 
What about the words that are not said? Well, you know, sometimes it's... it's I'm sorry. Sometimes it's that which is not said that can leave the biggest impact. By this, I'm meaning like really intense, passive-aggressive behavior. All of us have a, a let's say, a bent toward passive-aggressivism. Is even that a word? Bent toward being pa- passive-aggressive, whether it's a huge bent or even just the tiniest bent. It's there. And no one in the history of the world has ever said, hey, passive-aggressive behavior is great. Right? So what does this look like? What does this look like? Parents to children. We'll start there. Parents, it's very important for you not to be passive-aggressive toward your kids. And one of the ways to get there is to remember this. Your children are not given to you for your happiness. Your child's goal in life is not to make you happy. Your goal is to raise a disciple of Jesus. They are not there as pets, as trinkets that you can kind of discard. And when you become passive-aggressive to your children, what they learn is that the entire universe revolves around you, the parent, and there's no real way to please you. And what that translates into spiritually, there's no real way to please God is what happens. Or in marriage, you know, it's really easy to be passive-aggressive. Um, just, oh, I thought you were going to buy bread this week. I said that earlier this week. So I'm just saying, oh, I see that you bought sausage and not bacon. Which, it's a terrible sin, but that's okay. We'll forgive it. You know, small things, right? That's small. I can say it in a funny way. Um, you add up, let's say, two of those a day for 10 years, you got a lot of that. And then you got a lot of baggage. You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's very important for us to be truthful and honest with each other and to not to try to manipulate other people whether they be your spouse, your children, whatever it may be. The power of words unsaid, behind it is that you want to control someone else. And you're going to manipulate them or shame them or turn them in such a way to get what you want. And to be quite frank, I believe it's kind of a cowardly way because you don't want to actually come out and say something. And come out and make a stand. It's the behind the scenes, manipulative way. Brothers and sisters, you know, I believe that James is urging us, even though he's talking about words, these are words that are unsaid. Um, how we use passive uh, aggressive behavior to manipulate our spouse into having sex or not having sex, into having our kids obey and clean the rooms or not. 
I mean, this, this sort of stuff is absolutely pervasive. And what I wanted to open up as a dialogue this morning is that these things have absolute lasting effects in our families. They absolutely do. Um, and I want to point you this morning to this. How does God speak to us? How does he speak to us? In, in God's economy, there are two types of people. There is the one who is not covered in Jesus' blood, and then there is the one who is covered in Jesus' blood. There is the non-Christian, and then there's the Christian. And if you're not a Christian, the Bible says that you're enemies of God. But if you're a Christian, what does it say? It says that you are a beloved child of the Father. It says that you are covered in Jesus. It says that you are righteous in His sight. Blake said it in his prayer earlier. We're going to see it in the benediction. He exults over you. He sings over you. All of his words to you, Christian, are good. He does not demean or deface or anything like that. All of his words are good. So those are his words spoken. What about his words unspoken? Can you think for a minute? Let's go to speculation land, where I love to go sometimes. What would God be like if he were passive-aggressive? Can you imagine that? How terrible of a world would that be? It would be absolutely frightening if God himself were passive-aggressive. How do I know that he's not? When you disobey, he does not turn his back on you. He does not manipulate you. He does not speak poorly of you in order to get you on his side. He runs after you, straight at you. Not veering course, not uttering words of contempt. He comes right at you with arms open wide. That is who our God is. He's a God who says good things to you. And he, he's a God who says good things to you without even saying a word. That's who our God is. Brothers and sisters, this is a tough, tough passage. Because none of us gets free in this. I urge you to really contemplate your words in general, specifically your words among husband and wife and of parents to children. Words said and words unsaid. And if you do this in a deep way, you might be overcome. I want you to remember the Father's words to you and how he runs after you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you are a God who runs after us. Thank you that you are not an abusive father. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are not an abusive spouse to your church. We thank you that all of your words to us are good.
They're like honey on the lips. Help us to see that. And out of that, help us to be more like you, to be the children we were created to be. We pray these things through Jesus our King. Amen.